Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our Father, right at the beginning of this service, we thought about the battle that uh, is the Christian life. And we would pray that tonight, as we look at your word, as we look at Romans chapter 6 and into 7, Uh, that we would be encouraged, indeed motivated hugely, uh, to not only fight the battle but win it and to live lives which are pleasing to you for your praise and glory. Amen. Please do sit down. Well, uh, let me again say welcome to you. It's brilliant you're here. Uh, We've been looking through the book of Romans over these uh, last weeks since uh, the beginning of September. Uh, I've had lots of people say how much they've been encouraged. I've loved um, looking at it. We're in Romans chapter 6 from uh, verse 1 through to chapter 7, verse 6. And uh, I'd encourage you to turn 
that, to that in your Bibles, page 1132 is the page number, just so you can see where we're going. And uh, you might also, I think particularly tonight, of all nights, you'll find it useful to have your handout in front of you, uh, because this is not the most straightforward of passages, uh, but I've been working hard this week to make sure it doesn't become dense and complex. Now, it happened probably 18 years ago, but I remember it as if it were yesterday. Uh, I'd been invited to by a young couple into their home to explain to them what Christians believe. Unexpectedly, as I arrived at their house and went in their front room, the room was packed. Uh, Unknown to me, they'd invited a whole load of friends to come along and to hear what the vicar had to say. So after the introductions and, of course, the tea being poured, more tea vicar, it was over to me. And as I explained the gospel, everyone listened politely and attentively. And uh, as I drew to a close, I said, well, over to you then. What do you think? Do you have any questions? And the wife of the couple who invited me piped up straight away, are you saying that it doesn't matter what we've done in the past, we can be forgiven? And all we have to do is put our trust in Jesus and then we can be sure of spending forever in heaven. Is that what you're saying? And I said, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Isn't that wonderful? And she replied, no, that's terrible. That means it would be possible for someone to ask for God's forgiveness and then go and live however they like. That's outrageous. Now, since that day, I've encouraged that kind of response many times as I've explained the gospel. Not usually that forcefully, but I've, encouraged, I, I've met it. And you know, when I hear people say that, part of me thinks, that's great. You've understood grace. Of course, there's so much more to say, and that isn't the end of the story. But when you hear grace for the first time, it does sound outrageous. The doctrine of of justification by faith, that is, that we are put right with God, not through our own effort, but simply through trusting Jesus Christ, that doctrine appears to be a very dangerous doctrine. It seems to give us a freedom to live a life of irresponsible and unrestrained immorality. But does it mean that I can just go and live however I like it? It's certainly been abused like that. A previous colleague of mine, when I was in London, uh, tells how his dad was put off the gospel by exactly that kind of attitude. When my uh, colleague became a Christian and began to talk to his dad about following Jesus, his dad said, when I used to work abroad, some of the people I worked with would go to the brothel and then go to the church for confession. And he said, to, he said to his son, to my colleague, I didn't ever go to the brothel with them, and so I didn't care much to go to church with them either. That's the kind of issue that Romans chapter 1 grapples with. Look at verse 1. What shall we say then? In view of all that we've been hearing, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Same question in verse 15, halfway through our passage. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? You see what Paul is saying? After all that we've seen in these last weeks in the book of Romans, that is the conclusion that you just might come to, that we can go and live how we like. Remember what we've seen at the end of chapter 3? We learned the magnificent truth that despite us being thoroughly sinful, through Jesus' death on the cross, we can be declared not guilty. We can be reconciled to God. And we can know that God's wrath, his righteous anger, has been poured out upon Jesus and therefore will not be poured out upon us. In chapter 4, we discovered that we come to benefit in all of that from Jesus' death by faith. By faith alone, by trusting Jesus to make us right with God. 
By doing that, we are made righteous, right with God, not through anything we do, but by faith. And then last week, chapter five, we discovered the glorious truth that when we put our faith in Jesus, we are justified and so we are at peace with God, brought into God's grace, certain of spending all eternity in glory and loved unconditionally by God. Remember, loved as much on my worst day as I am on my best day. So does all that mean that I can go and live however I like then? Doesn't that that gospel encourage a life of sin? That's the question at the beginning of chapter 6, verse 1. And the answer, verse 2, by no means. No, says the Apostle Paul. If you think the Christian gospel allows or even encourages a life of unrestrained indulgence, then you've missed the point altogether. And so in chapter 6, we're given three brilliant and vivid pictures of why justification by faith, why grace isn't a passport for indulgent, sinful living. We come to the first one. Oh, no, no, we don't. I'm going to give you the three pictures first. The three pictures are first. In chapter 6, verses 1 to 10, we have the picture of baptism. In chapter 2, sorry, second, in chapter 6, verses 15 to 23, the picture of slavery And third, in chapter 7, verses 1 to 6, the picture of marriage. And all three pictures are linked by the word death. You'll see this as we go through. But let me point it out from just one verse in each section. Verse 3, to start off with. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? In baptism, we are linked to Jesus' death. Then look down to verse 16, to the second of the sections. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. When you live as a slave to sin, it will lead to death. And chapter 7, verse 2. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. The marriage covenant ends when one partner dies, death. You see this section, all three sections, three pictures, all linked by the word death. Now, if you don't understand how it's going to work, I'm going to bring all that together. The broad point is this. Through one death, the death of Jesus, and through faith in the death of Jesus, I am transferred from one spiritual realm to another. My status changes. And when I realise my change of status, I will not want to go on sinning, is what we're going to read. When you become a Christian, it's so much more than just having your sin wiped clean in the past. It is that, but it's more than that. When you become a Christian, there's a transfer. Transferred from the realm of rebellion and sin and death into the realm of obedience and righteousness and life. And it's understanding this that means I won't just see the grace of God as an excuse to go on sinning. Well, that's the big sweep of these verses. Now let's see why Paul says what he says. And I, I have been so encouraged, I've uh, been looking through this, uh, this week, to be somebody who doesn't want to sin because of the grace of God. In verse 2, we read that in becoming a Christian, we died to sin. So how can we live in it any longer? And Paul says, look first at your baptism. So we come to the first point halfway down the uh, the, 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 the first page of the handout. Baptism. Now, just four, uh, two weeks ago, we saw four people just down there being baptised in this building. 
When we baptised Jordan and Emma and Lincoln and Harley, it was a picture of what had happened when they became Christians. And verses three and four here, when they became Christians, tells us when they became Christians, they died. And in their baptism, going under the water was a symbol of them dying. And let me tell you, the water was so cold they almost did. In baptism then, we have a dramatic picture of going down into the grave and then coming up to new life. That's verse three and four, do you see? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You go down, this is true of all Christians, anybody who's a real Christian, the day you became a Christian, you went down into the grave and you came out of the water and as you come up, you come up into new life. You die to living without God so you can start a new way living for God. That's what happened when anyone becomes a Christian and baptism is a picture of that. Uh, My PA, Rebecca Tufnell, was looking for a film to watch this week and came across a film that is called Paul Williams Still Alive. There it is. There's a picture of it. Uh, she posted this picture on the listing of, on Facebook with a comment, can't believe this is an actual film. And then a frenzy of comments were posted. One person wrote, can we watch the film instead of a sermon one week? <laughs> someone else, what genre of film do you think it is? To which someone else replied, horror. <laughs> Another a person, apocalyptic. Well, I want to say thank you very much. These are my friends. <laughs> Anyway, I mention it because there is this title, because while the film title is correct, Paul Williams is still alive, that's not the whole story. On the 25th of March 1983, I became a Christian. On that day, I died. I died with Christ. I died to living my life my way. I died to living a life of sin. Now, please don't mishear me. I'm not saying that from the 25th of March 1983, I've lived a perfect life. Ask Gareth. That's not the case. No, I'm saying what it means to become a Christian. When anyone becomes a real follower of Jesus, they start again. And they say, I don't want to live that life, a life that is going against God anymore. I don't want to live a life of sin any longer. So I died on the 25th of March, 1983. But end of verse four, I died in order to to rise to live a new life. And baptism is a picture of what happens when anyone becomes a Christian. And when you think about it, it's obvious. Why would the genuine Christian want to carry on living a sinful life? We've seen it, haven't we, in the first part of Romans. Sin got us into so much trouble in the first place. Sin results in death. We see that at the end of chapter 6, verse 23. The wage of sin is death. Sin brings death and brings me under God's wrath. That's what we discovered in the first three chapters of Romans. Sin is a huge problem. It gets me into very deep water. So why, when Jesus has rescued me from sin, why would I want to carry on sinning? It would be like being rescued from a raging river and certain death and then jumping straight back in again. Why would I want to do that? Christ rescues me from sin and death. He pulls me out of the water. That's why baptism is such a good picture. And so when anyone becomes a real Christian, they are united to Christ in his death and they die to sin to be raised to live a new life. That's what it says at the end of verse four, you see, raised to live a new life. What's more, there's another part of this picture as well. 
I will want to live a new life because as a Christian, I am going to be raised to completely new life with Christ one day. That's verse five. Now look closely at the tense of the verse, the verbs in verse five. If we have been, past tense, if we have been united to Christ, and that's what happens the day someone becomes a genuine follower of Jesus, if that has happened, then halfway through verse five, we will, future tense, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Verse five then is pointing to the wonderful confidence of the Christian gospel of life beyond the grave. Once I am united to Christ, I go everywhere that Jesus goes. It's like a needle and a thread. Once you've got the thread through the eye of the needle, that's quite a difficult job. But once it's there, everywhere the needle goes, the thread follows. And in the same way, once I am united or connected to Christ, I go everywhere he goes. So yes, he died, but he rose again. And so connected to him, yes, I die, but I will rise again. Because I'm connected to him, certain. And knowing that will change the way I live. Both because the day I became a Christian, I said, I'm going to start living a new life because sin got me in so much trouble, I don't want to live that way anymore. And because I know there is going to be a new life to live in the future. And so I want to start living it now as best I can. And so we read verse eight. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God in the same way. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So while I won't be perfect now, while my new life in Christ now is not fully what my new resurrection life in eternity will be, still I am, verse 11, to count myself dead to sin. And I'm to strive to live a life which reflects the resurrection life that I am certain of. That's the conclusion of this section. I've died to my old way of life. I have a new resurrection life to come. So now, as far as I can, I'm going to live that new life. And crucially, do you see, it is not you can be forgiven, so go and do whatever you like. Not that at all, is it? The first picture, baptism. The second picture is that of slavery. We're over the page now. Uh, on the handout if you're still following along. Verses 15 to 23. Another picture, but it's going to say the same, the same thing. Verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? There's our issue. And the answer, end of verse 15, by no means. Verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Now, do you see the surprise in these verses? This, this will change the way we think and the way we speak. This does not say you were slaves to sin, now you're free to live however you like. That would sound like a passport for indulgence. No, Christian, do you see what it says? The Christian life is about no longer being a slave to sin and instead being a slave to righteousness. I've been very, I realise I've been very loose with my language in the past. You've been, you've been saved from a, from a life of slavery to be free. 
It's not actually fully the truth, is it? I'm being transferred from being a slave to sin to being a slave to God and to righteousness. Now, it's what we saw in the first verses of the book of Romans. You can turn it up if you like, but there's no need to. Verse 1 of the book, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul defined himself as a servant, or better, a slave of Jesus, Jesus Christ. In chapter 1, verse 5, we read that faith in Christ results in obedience. So when I become a Christian, there's a transfer. I was a slave to sin, now I'm a slave to obedience and righteousness. That is verse 19. Look, verse 19, I put this in human terms because you are weak and in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the, the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. Let me tell you, it's the experience described in the first half of verse 19 that was the well, one of, if not the key reason that I became a Christian. As a 20-year-old, I became aware of my sin. I wouldn't have ever called it sin, but I became aware of it. I just knew that I wasn't the sort of person I should be. I knew the first half of verse 19. I knew that my life was selfish, all bound up with me. One way and another, verse 19, I offered the parts of my body in slavery to impurity whether that was moral impurity or ethical impurity or emotional impurity or psychological impurity, I did not live for God and I knew I wasn't what I should be. I remember thinking all those years ago, I remember thinking I don't even live up to my own standards, let alone God's. And I don't mind telling you, I tried to change. I tried to be different. I tried to turn over a new leaf and I could not do it. I couldn't. Why not? It wasn't because I didn't try hard enough. It wasn't because I wasn't self-controlled. It wasn't because it didn't matter to me. Oh my goodness me, it mattered a lot. It was because I was a slave to sin. Sin was my master. I could not break free. I was a slave. That's what's so brilliant about Jesus. And we thought about it in exactly this category back in chapter 3. Remember the word Redemption. Remember if you were here a few weeks ago, our day trip to the slave market? And when we went on this slave trip, uh, on this day trip, how we found ourselves in chains, enslaved, all because we've turned away from a wonderful master, a master who treated us better than we deserved, but we abused his trust, we treated his son appallingly, we ran away from our master and became enslaved to another way of life, a life serving other masters, and we're enslaved to sin. But at the slave market, we, with many people haggling over our price, we saw our old master in the crowd, deep in conversation with his son, the son that we had abused. And unbelievably, he paid a massive price for us. He paid the ransom price to set us free. And the price he paid? His son, the death of his son. His son was exchanged for us. And we were handed back to our master. We were redeemed, set free from our bondage to slavery. And now we are slaves to the best master in the universe. Do you remember all that? That transfer came about because of a death, because of Jesus' death. Jesus' death sets me free from slavery to sin and enables me instead to be a slave to obedience and to righteousness. See, for me, before I became a Christian, I could not live the right life even though I wanted to. I tried to and I couldn't do it because I was a slave to sin. I was in the shackles of sin. 
But now, released from being enslaved to sin, verse 19, I can now offer my body in slavery to righteousness. I can do that. Now I can live for the right life. Don't always do it, but it's possible now. And that's such a much better thing to do, a much better life to live. And you know, I've never seen this as clearly as this before. We see that when we ask the question that comes in verse 21. Look, this is a brilliant question. Ask yourself this question again and again. Verse 21, do you see it? What benefit did you reap? That is in the past, when you, before you were Christian. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you're now ashamed of? What benefit was there from living that life of sin, enslaved? If we answer that question, if we ask the question and answer it, it will change the way we live. I think if you remember nothing else, remember that verse and ask yourself that question again and again. What benefit? Well, of course, sin promises us great benefits. You know what it's like. Sin promises you the world. Sin promises you so much pleasure and fun and freedom. Like a friend rings you up and you know, somebody who works on the London Stock Exchange and he says to you, look, here's a terrific share option. You, you've got to invest. It'll be great. You'll be, you'll be loaded. The problem is this bloke rings you up every day with some share offer or other and in the past you've invested with him and you've lost your money every time. Are you going to invest again today? When was it that the old master's sin said, go on, do it? It really pays dividends. And you did it. And you came out of the other end saying it wasn't that great. Or worse, you're, you're left feeling empty and miserable and dirty. Yeah, it's verse 21. What benefit did you reap at the time? It's a good question, isn't it? Empty and miserable. Every time you sin, you die a little. That's what a dreadful master sin is. Sin kills you, end of verse 21. It results in death. Verse 21, what benefit did you reap from sin? None at all. You just died a bit more. It's a great question. The old master's sin will do you no good. So, Christian, be convinced that you owe the old master nothing. Nothing at all. And hear the gospel again. Jesus died, and because of his death, he freed you from that master. So don't keep going back to that master. Rather, verse 22, now you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. And the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is not death but eternal life. So again, do you see, this isn't you've been set free from sin so go and sin however you like, is it? No, this is you've been set free from sin to be under another master, God himself, so live for him. And why would you want to go back to that horrible, dirty life? Living for him leads to life. It's the best thing. So when I live the way I should do, it always feels better, doesn't it? The picture of baptism says you died to sin so don't sin anymore. The picture of slavery says, Jesus died to set you free from sin, so don't sin anymore. And briefly, thirdly, the third picture is is that of marriage. And you see that in chapter 7, verses 1 to 6. And there's a very simple point again. Death terminates the first marriage and leaves you free to marry again, quite legitimately. That's all that verses 2 and 3 are saying. For example, verse 2. By law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. 
So then if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's released from that law and he's not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. He's just using a picture and he's saying that that's how it is for the Christian. Verse 4, you've died to your marriage to the law. That doesn't mean you now live a lawless life. No, verse 4, you're now free to live a life that bears life-giving fruit. So again, we see ending your marriage to the law doesn't mean you can go and live a lawless life, live how you like. No, Christian, although you're not married to the law, to rules and regulations, you are now married to Christ. And with any good marriage, you can't just live how you like. There's still certain things you need to do, you see. So I'm married to Caroline. Doesn't mean I just go and live however I like. That means I, I want to live certain ways. It's only appropriate. Three brilliant pictures then. Actually, they're more than pictures. Because each one tells me of my new status as a Christian. And when I know that this is what I am, each one motivates me to want to live for Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Not to see the gospel of grace and forgiveness as a passport to indulgence, but as a motivation to want to live differently. And the key verses in terms of living it out are in verses 11 to 14. And as we close, we'll look at those. Look at chapter 6, verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness for sin shall not be your master because you're not under law but under grace. As we draw to a close then, understanding all of this will be the motivation, all the motivation I need to live for Christ. Even though I can know that I can be forgiven for whatever I do, This will be the motivation to live for him. And it all begins by the way I view myself. Verse 11, count yourselves dead to sin. I heard this week that Romans chapter 6 verse 11 is the first command in the whole of the book of Romans. Five chapters we read so far and not once have we been told what to do. Indeed, the first five chapters are all about what God has done for us. And then there's a command here, but even then it doesn't tell us to do anything. No, it tells us how to think. Verse 11 is about how we should think about ourselves. Count yourselves, reckon yourself, get your calculator out and make a calculated estimation of yourself. Count yourself dead to sin. Just as God reckons you now dead to sin in Christ. That is the first step to living a different life. It's not the whole story. There's more to say in chapter 8 about the Holy Spirit enabling us to live a new life. But while there is more to say in chapter 8, this is where it starts. It begins in the mind. See, we will read in a few weeks' time, and I put it on the handout here, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It begins here. A new life, a godly life, living as we should, begins up in the head And it begins, Romans chapter 6, verse 11, by counting yourself dead to sin. So when sin comes to you this week, when the old master tempts you and says, go on, you know you want to. It won't do you any harm. It'll be nice. And anyway, you can be forgiven. When sin comes to you, tempting you to do like that and to be like that, you must count yourself dead to sin. 
You do it up here. You say no. You look back to when you became a Christian, to your baptism. You say no. I died to sin. When I became a Christian, verse 11, I died to sin and now I'm alive in Christ. And then you say, verse 12, I won't let sin reign in my body anymore. And you say, sin, no, sin is not my master any longer. Jesus died to set me free from that way of living. I don't need to do what sin tells me anymore. Sin's not my master. Verse 13, now I offer myself to God. He is my master. I am his slave. And then you say, no, verse 14, I'm not under law, but under grace. I'm no longer just trying to keep rules and regulations. I'm motivated by grace. And then suddenly, amazingly, grace is not a license to live how you like, but it's the motivation, all the motivation you need to live for God. And so when you hear the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, you say, are you telling me that it doesn't matter what I've done in the past, I can be forgiven? And all I have to do is put my trust in Jesus. And then I can be sure of spending forever in heaven with Christ. And when you say, is that what the gospel teaches? Then you read Romans again and you hear the Apostle Paul saying, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Isn't it wonderful? And you can say, oh, yes, wonderful. Grace is amazing. And it makes me want to live the rest of my life in obedience to this magnificent God who would love me like that. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts that the gospel is all about everything that you have done that we can be completely forgiven because of what Christ did for us. That we don't have to strive and work to be right with you, but simply to put our faith, our trust in Christ. Thank you that that's the gospel. And thank you that as we do that, there is this remarkable transfer that we go from being dead to alive, from bound up with sin to being free to live a new life, from married to law to being now married to Christ and in grace. And we ask you, please, every one of us that's a Christian here tonight, to believe that when sin comes knocking at our door, to count ourselves, to reckon ourselves alive to God in Christ Jesus. Be so amazed by grace that we'd want to live lives that please you. Thrill our hearts afresh with the gospel that it would never, by no means, lead us to living a life of sin, but always and forever attempting to live a life which pleases you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.